0: Thank you for coming tonight. This is a privilege to uh, have Bob and Ann with us again. Uh, we uh, learned a lot last year on marriage, and tonight our ears are wide open. Uh, we're going to learn about parenting, so uh, we're really glad you're here. Bob and Ann have—they've um, been a, a pastor, pastor's wife. They helped start a church, uh, Northwest Bible, down in Spring, Texas. They were there for 25 years and uh, passed the baton on, and then they went in the mission field. There are missionaries with East-West, and they go all over the world training pastors. And a couple of the places that Bob and Ann focus on are uh, Myanmar and Cambodia. He's the training director in Myanmar, Myanmar, field director in Cambodia. And so they travel throughout Southeast and Eastern Asia, training pastors. They teach on a lot of topics, on uh, theology, on uh, pastoral ministries, but I have found their real passion is in the area of uh, equipping men and women in the area of, of family life. They are one of the uh, really sought-after speakers. They speak at uh, Pine Cove and other places. We've had them uh, speak at our own family camp uh, several times, you know, just to appreciate, uh, you know, it's one thing for me to tell you about them, but I think it's it's even better if, if we get a little taste of what their long-haul ministry has been like. So, B.J., do we have any uh, pictures that you might be able to help us with here? This is uh, Bob and Ann. This is in 1976 at a family camp. I got these pictures. Yeah, Bob has hair. I got these pictures from... Don and Nancy McElroy, who had been married for two weeks, and they were baptized at a family camp that uh, Bob and Ann spoke at. It was at Bethel Independent Family Camp in April of 1976, so that's a little of their long-term ministry, and then we go to our family camp. Our first family camp, this is in 1998 um, at Hermit Basin, Colorado. Bob and Ann We're our speakers, and so it's my privilege tonight to welcome a seasoned, a little more seasoned Bob and Ann Livesay. But Bob, thank you for ministering uh, over the years to many, many people, including this church family, and we welcome you here. Let's welcome Bob and Ann Livesay.
1: Thank you. That's great.
2: What a privilege to be back with you. I can hardly remember these pictures now. But it's a joy seeing us. Uh, I was talking to Bill Riggs about uh, the the crystal lenses that I now have. That's why I'm not wearing glasses. I don't use contacts. But what a joy to see so many of you. By the way, about Bill, I've never had a guy look so closely at my eyes (laughs) when I was introduced to him. But it's so neat to see uh, people like Denny and Barbara. And uh, I can't see too many of you. with the. Well, no, if they want to go to sleep, it's okay. (laughs) <laughs> you know they can it, it won 't bother them that way, or us but uh it's it 's a delight to uh, see many of you that came out last year and uh also meeting some new uh of you this year and and I really do love the family we love the family of god i didn 't become a Christian until I was nineteen halfway through if I might say here baylor and uh <laughs> uh but uh Anyway, uh, <laughs> what else can I say? We're not going to talk football this uh, tonight. We want to keep the spirit within us. Uh, Brad and Susan, we met at uh, Pine Cove Family Camp up in the woods, and, and it was uh, an immediate connection, and we, we so enjoy them. We want to get them on the mission field to come to Myanmar with us and Yangon Myanmar and maybe do some marriage and parenting alongside of us and uh, that would be terrific opportunity. Well, we have three kids. You saw Reed in the picture. Reed is now 38. He's a senior director at Pine Cove, Carr Creek, for the last six years. And uh, Laura's on crusade staff with her husband. They're in Orlando. They have three boys. Reed and Julie have an 11- and a 9-year-old. And then our youngest, Stephen, they have two boys, he and Janice. And uh, we're just very, very thankful, 15 of us. And hopefully, if uh, the rapture does not occur, we're going to meet in Orlando for Christmas and have a great time. And they said they'd have a great time as long as Dad paid for most of it. (laughs) And so we'll see how that goes. But we're just looking forward to family being together. It's a wonderful opportunity. Ann and I uh, want to talk to you about parenting tonight. It's a quarter of eight. How long do I have, Brad? Seriously? But didn't you tell me earlier that that... I could speak as long as I want, but everyone leaves at 8.30 or something like that? Do you want us to keep it to 45? Tell me the truth, seriously. It's a quarter of 8 now.
1: Babysitters.
2: Here, so 8.30. 8.30, okay, great. All right, so enough of the introduction and uh, <laughs> the jump parenting. Right here, here we go. What we really want to do is, uh, is, is, of course, be transparent, honest, as we can be with you, because life is hard. I don't go with that uh, little... ditty that says on uh, either by way of decal or slogan on the back of uh, cars life is good uh, bumper stickers Uh, I think that life is difficult I believe with all my heart that God is good but we need each other we need the scriptures as our compass to direct us to construct our lives the way God wants them to be built and so that's what we want to bring before you. Our books talk about that. We're, gonna, we're not going to plug those things. Landry did such a great job already on that. We're thankful. I'll pay you later, Landry, wherever you are. <laughs> but uh, what Ann and I want to do is say that nothing quite like parenting to bring phenomenal joy and pain into your life. I mean, when, you, when your kids make those rare but right decisions, Oh, it's so exciting when they choose to serve. When they serve to act, when they choose to actually give of themselves and cheer, uh, you, you're just so thankful. You just it just evokes so much joy from deep within. But when they make those bad decisions and and they choose to uh, be selfish and rebel, we had that happen one time in in those eighteen years. <laughs> and uh, and uh-huh. and you know that we've had a lot of difficulties and but uh, a lot of challenges there and uh but but when they do that it there, there's a lot of pain you you really want that internal character developed by the spirit of god you want to be a mentor you want to be an example you want the right amount of love and discipline you want to put all that stuff together and 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 try the best you can without controlling although that seems to seep in a bit you, you want them to turn out where you know Christ is revealed, He's seen in them. His reputation is raised in in their schools and or wherever they are attending, and uh, and at least in the neighborhood. And uh, so there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of pain, but what we want to say is that we understand. We really do with our children now, thirty-eight, thirty-six, and thirty-five. For you see, when whenever we went through anything with our family, it was intense mm-hmm. because we had a sophomore. I mean, a freshman, a sophomore, and a senior, like in high school. So everything was just a bunch of combustion in our <laughs> home, you know, cars and everything. And uh, so that's the way it went. And Ann and I learned more than our kids did. But hopefully, uh, as you go through that process, too, you will grow in your relationship with Christ, but so will your children. Uh, we want to talk about one thing primarily tonight, just one thing. Be uh, Be intentional. Be intentional. It's not just to have aspiration or desire. It's not just to feel good about it when you wake up someday, when you've just had a good time with the Lord, let's say. But you've got to think through what you really want to produce. Fellas, some of you are in business. Ladies, some of you are in business too. Let me just say that we go by business plans, right? I mean, what do we want to produce? Well, this is the product at the end of the line, so let's walk it backwards and what is going to need to be there in these various incremental steps in order to produce this product. We have no problem in business with profit. But how about God's product? Are we intentional? Do we think through what we want to do in order to produce with God's work in us, in and through us, Philippians 2:12 and 13? Do we want, you know, what does He want to see? So we're going to suggest to you that you become very intentional. In our book, we have four biblical responsibilities, and uh, you can use it as a, as a study guide in ways, as a group guide, or as an individual. But what we have done, we've gone through the Scriptures, and we see four primary responsibilities. We think that you should love your children unconditionally, so that they really see the grace of God uh, flowing through you, and you're a mirror of You're the first Jesus that they see. Secondly, we feel like you really need to teach your children. That's your responsibility from the Magna Carta of Christian education, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We feel like you need to be the point person. You as parents need to come together. What do we want to produce? We need to teach them. It's not the church's primary responsibility. They're a supplement, but they're not to supplant what you are designed to do and designed to do best. So, you need to love them unconditionally. You need to teach them. You need to train them, as Landry talked about discipline a little bit. That's part of the training, but there are moral consequences. There are logical consequences. There's physical discipline. All of those things work together. It's all in here. But we don't have time to talk about all that. Anne's going to talk just a little bit about the fourth responsibility. And this is the one that evokes the most tears. Letting go. We find that people have the most difficult time, but can identify with what Ann is going to share. So I'm just going to take a little time and then give, give a little bit more t- time to Ann as she deals with teenagers and how they come to that maturation and not kicking them out, but letting them go and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and planning that from the time they're uh, real young. You know, you're not supposed to be with us forever. And so, you know, and how you break that forth to them. Okay. So those are the four biblical responsibilities, and our encouragement this evening is that you be intentional, that you think ahead, you plan ahead, you come together and say, this is what we want to produce, and these are the four responsibilities that we're going to really work at, cognitively think through, biblically apply in their lives. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to be far from it. If I can tell you this, just real quick, it just came to me. Uh, We uh, Sometimes we hit a home run. It was rare. But uh, most of the time, we're just thankful to get to first base. But sometimes we really struck out. (laughs) I mean, we really did. And uh, I can remember when Reed Uh, was... let me tell. No, honey. (laughs) Well, no, 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 no. Well, Reed was about...
1: Bob was determined that we were going to prepare. They were 10, you know, maybe 10, 8, 7 years old, and he was going to prepare them for, you know, the sex talks and, you know, laying out everything with them and going through all of that. So he decided to teach a little animal husbandry. (laughs) Ah, Go ahead, dear. With
2: animals. i did i did that's exactly right and uh our daughter laura precious girl had this uh lop eared rabbit silver was her name and uh well cared for nurtured uh and we thought how perfect gestation is a short period of time about 30 days 28 days for rabbit and and uh and so we just thought that we would borrow uh, a male rabbit called a buck. From the janitor in the high school, I'd go up there and lift weights and stuff. I coaches in the church, and it was a lot of fun. So I said, "Mac, Mac, do you, don't you raise rabbits? You know, he raised them and ate them, but that was okay."
1: Yeah, he did. He does. Could, he still does.
2: Mac, could could I borrow a buck uh, for our dough, our precious uh, virgin dough, <laughs> and and so? Uh, Max says, "Sure, sure, Bob. Sure, he called me Riff. Sure, Riff." And so uh, uh, I got I got the buck, and I got the kids in the garage. Here is Silver. we all gathered around. Silver is, family. is in the the cage, and and so I I said, "Now, kids, you know what we want to show is just you know kind of the way God's plan is, <laughs> and uh, what we want to show is is just you know how unique and yet how special and how intimate and how personal." And, you know, I just went through the, the yeah. whole adjectival, you know, dictionary on this stuff, thinking of, oh, I hope this is going to work, God, I'm praying, seriously. Bro. So I let the buck, uh, all three kids are lined up, and I let the buck into the cage of the doe. Uh, strike out. Uh, because that, that doe took off in a circle, and silver became a blur with a high-pitched, like that shrill. Running around like this just, in the I cage. mean, literally, you know, just you couldn't even see this rabbit move so fast. And, of course, the buck was chasing her in that cage, not a big cage. Finally, he caught her. and Jumped we're, we're, on. And, and most of us are married here because, you know, we have kids, okay? So, so, so let me just say, yeah, he mounted the, the doe.
1: The, the and, doe and, is and, screaming and, bloody murder.
2: Honey, don't go into that much detail. But, but what happened, and it
1: all happened I, I'll in never forget this,
2: seconds. indelibly imprinted, it was like this. Okay, seriously. <laughs> and I went, oh, oh my gosh. And, and then he falls off. The worst part was he lit up a cigarette. <laughs> no, that's no, not true. Not. That's not what happened. But all of a sudden, when all this happened in a matter of like 30 seconds... Oh. I I just am flabbergasted. I wanted you the were. rapture to a partial rapture to occur, <laughs> you know, just to take me, Lord. I'm ready, you know. I've done my work here, but really, I said, Ann, go ahead." Take it. I really did. No, no kidding. No kidding. Ann, go ahead. What would you like to share? La- so we were so thankful when each of them actually wanted to get married. I- <laughs> After that, life-threatening no, experience. <laughs> I just want you to know that's really true. Sometimes so, we really struck out big time. Actual. Trying to
1: be intentional. About so if you ever run into any of our children, training.
2: ask them about the rabbits, and then you help them off of the ground
1: stories.
2: and uh, go on. But anyway, all right. Let me let's talk so, about being intentional. Being
1: intentional tonight about filling their love tank.
2: About filling that one love
1: responsibility. Tank. We can't focus on all, but just quickly, we want to do on how to fill your child's love tank.
2: And what and I'm going to deal with are children uh, 10 and below, and I'm going to uh, give you three things, and Ann's going to work with those that are teenagers and uh, give you two primary w- ways to fill that love tank.
1: How many of you have children that are 10 and under?
2: Raise your hand. Oh, wow. 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 Okay, okay. go well, for maybe it. Maybe I ought to how take more time, have, yeah?
1: How many of you have kids that are, you have a teenager or someone that's over okay. 10? All yeah. right, uh, still okay. we got a great group of that, so yeah. all right, okay. go for it.
2: All right, well, I want to, sh- from, from Dr. Ross Campbell, there are a couple of great books. Okay, first the Lipsay book, but then there are a couple of great books. No, 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 these are really great books, and uh, How to Really Love Your Teenager by Dr. Ross Campbell, an excellent book, and How to Really Love Your Teenager, we would suggest how that one. How to Love
1: Your Child. You to lo- what did I you say? You said it twice, okay. Thank so. you,
2: hon. How to Really Love Your Child, and then How to Really Love Your Teenager. By Doctor Ross Campbell, uh, pretty much canonical, pretty much right there with the scriptures, and uh, so we felt like those were just uh, very, very needed right along beside the Bible.
1: And they were short.
2: They were short, short
1: in little books. Ross Campbell's that's why we
2: book. Them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something like ours. This is it was the about parenting. that size. There's something like that, and I felt like good. I can, I can do this, and so I looked at these things, and there were really three in number, and I and I would submit to you this evening that they are excellent. Your children who are 10 and under are not uh, so abstract as they are concrete-oriented in their thinking. Mm -hmm. They are not so verbal-oriented as they are action-oriented. Please keep that in mind, because what you have in our culture today, everyone has cell phones, and it seems as though every single conversation ends with, I love you. Now, I'm not saying that that's bad, I'm not saying that that's just medium. I think it's good, but it's totally insufficient if you leave verbalization to a child that's 10 and under. You need to show them. You need to demonstrate by doing things with them that you love them. Here are three. You ready? I'm going to cruise through these. Number one, eye contact. Eye contact. The Scriptures are clear from Proverbs. The windows of the soul are the eyes. And what we want to do is to let them know As we smile with our eyes, how much we really care for them. Let your heart be seen by the way you look at them. Give them that verbal attention. Give them that eye contact. Unfortunately, uh, many people were treated much as I was treated when I grew up. That The only time my dad uh, really looked at me closely was when he looked at me severely when he was stern, when I had done something wrong and he wanted my attention. Ooh, I'm not going to abuse my wife here, but boy would he look at me and just scare me to death. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time that my dad ever really looked at me and made good, solid eye contact and it created fear and emotional separation. You see? Uh, great friend at Baylor was a valedictorian, went with the program when he graduated pre-med from Baylor. Uh, Steve... To this day cannot look at you for over a split second and then his eyes are diverted to some other focal point. Because Steve was so uh, severely dealt with through eye contact, through uh, wrong use of eye contact by his dad who was a great NASA engineer, very successful man, so please use your eyes to allow them to to feel how much you really love them. Smile. Think of smiling with your eyes toward your children. You can so significant. See,
1: you can see little kids, little babies, that have had positive eye contact from their moms yeah. who've spent a lot of time with them, even when they're just infants. And so you moms, don't underestimate when you have those little ones and you're changing their diaper and you're walking around with them and... You look at them when you talk to them and, you know, and, and smile with your eyes and that kind of thing. You can see it because you'll notice that a baby that has been looked at and has received that positive eye contact, they don't just stare around like this. When they, are, they see someone, it's like they've got a magnet you know, pulling them towards, towards seeing them. So. so
2: positive eye contact. Gentlemen, would you just say that with me? Positive eye contact. The second one, physical contact, physical contact. This is where we hug and we slug and we roughhouse. But, you know, we, when we exercise touch, we extend value to that other person. And biblically, there's something that deeply touches me, I must, I must confess. When I read through the Gospels and I see Christ healing people, especially those who at 30 feet had to cry out, unclean, unclean, who, of whom do I speak? Lepers. Lepers. Those who were divinely judged and those who were ostracized horizontally by their own society, they were ceremonially unclean. So they had to cry out, what did Jesus do with them? This just grips me. This is my Savior. This is our Lord. He would touch them. He would touch the untouchables. I'm not talking Indian. I am talking about people who were ceremonially, divinely unclean and judged, and He would touch them to show them that they had value, that they were His creation and and it changed them. Not just their outward skin, but their inward heart. Value by my Creator. Touch your children. Put your arms around them. Embrace them. Roughhouse with them. We had so many games that we'd play with the boys. Two boys and the daughters, we've said the Daughter sandwiched in between these two ruffians, but we would play dead rat, you know, and and there's you know really nothing that? new under the sun, but it was a great game. You don't uh, know how to uh, do dead rat?
1: They don't know how to do that. Well, rat.
2: let me show you. And would you? Show?
1: No, I'm not going to oh, okay. the dead rat. <laughs> right. but, but
2: you know, the kids would lo- lie down, and then I would Grab pull them by, them by, their, by heels. their heels, you know, and dead rat, dead rat, and they just thought that was so cool until we hit a ridge in the wood floor that wasn't good. <laughs> so I would encourage you just to do carpet. Okay, carpet. But you know, they would do horsey, and, and then they'd fly through the air from couches. And one of the things for which I'm most proud, seriously, is that I had the privilege of taking each of the three to the emergency room. You know, and, and stitch up suits of them or off of a coffee like table. But you know, those kids <laughs> it's, it's great. Yesterday, this is neat. We've got these grandkids. Oh. We've got the six uh, grandsons and one granddaughter. And and Ben is four years old. He's over in Orlando. And he got on the phone yesterday, and you know what he said to me? Gramps, I go by Gramps, she's Grammy. Gramps, I just wish you were here all day and slugged me all day long. <laughs> well, I don't just, the you know, pill? boom! You know what I do? He I'm not even going to try this, but I taught the kids when I when I coach baseball with our boys. I, I taught them a six-inch slug. And it was just a way of reminding them without hurting them in any way that, you know, mentally, you got to get in the game. Leave the flowers alone, kids. You know, that kind of deal. And so it was a six-inch slug. You can't pull it back. You start here, and you just... And so these boys just absolutely love it. Okay, so I would do that with the guys. And with Laura, I would hug her a lot and give her a lot of rides and stuff. And, uh, but, boy, the physical, the physical touch. When your daughters, mm-hmm. gentlemen... We're all uneasy when our daughters take on shape and form as they go through puberty, and we go, Well, what do we do with this?" You know, you know, they're really, uh, uh, you know, uh, very conscious about things, and and they don't realize that I'm more so. And, and so this is what you do. It's very simple. You still exercise physical touch because, gentlemen, hear me well. You prevent immorality. You prevent looseness with your daughter by the closeness you maintain with her physically by simple touch. It's so significant. Her security with you enables her to say no to guys who want to look for love in the wrong places. So here's the deal. You just, as you're walking by and she's sitting down, you just put your arm on her shoulder. Say, hi, honey. Boy, it's great to see you. Make eye contact with physical contact. When you come up to hug her, you don't have to give her a full body hug. Just put your arm around her sideways and say, gosh, you're just so special to me. The guy that gets you, he's going to be the luckiest fellow in the world. In fact, I don't know if there's going to be a guy good enough.
1: You know? Absolutely.
2: That's what I told Howard when he asked for her hand in marriage. I said, you kidding me? I won't tell you about all that.
1: <laughs> Swindall
2: has the best description, Chuck Swindall. It's like turning over a priceless Stradivarius to a gorilla.
1: <laughs> that's the way he I mean, felt. You touch her, I'll kill you.
2: You've had three kids. Don't tell me how. <laughs> you know that's my daughter. Okay, so. Uh, I I have to eye tell contact one more thing. and physical contact.
1: Right. And the physical, he's told you the battle scars that we have in the house had holes in the wall in the sheetrock where they would side tackle him and walking down the hall and they would come in, one, you know, playing defense, <laughs> drive dad into the wall. Yeah, and you know, I'm I, meditating I'm on scripture Now all
2: of a sudden a linebacker hits me and drives me to <laughs> and through the drywall.
1: And they're you laughing. Know, totally unprovoked. You know, We're going to have all the elders and deacons over for a Christmas party that night. And I'm like, okay, you can explain to everybody when they go to the bathroom why there's a hole in the wall. But anyway, that kind of thing. And they would play this game called Four, Con- Four Corners. And I always thought it was King of the Mountain or King of the Bed, but it was on our king-size bed. And, the, and Bob and the two boys would get on there. And the whole point of the game is is to see who could throw the other ones off of the bed first and be the last one standing. And so, Bob, they they did this all through growing up, through high school, and even when they came home at college. And that, you know, Reed is 6'2", 200 pounds. And so, anyway, they came home, and I'm hearing them back there, and I'm hearing Bob say, Now, boys, you just better be careful, because... You know, we had a low ceiling and whatever. He said, there's a, there's a ceiling fan up here, and you want to be really careful, you know, because when you stand up, you could get your head. You're tall now. You could be bam. And so that was fine. So the first thing you know, he says, they say, go, and throwing them off. And the next thing you know, the old man stands up. The oh,
2: old man. boom, 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 boom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and just got him. I mean, the boys just were, like, going crazy.
2: That's where I lost my hair. okay so eye contact physical physical contact contact,
1: those important so much girl and moms with your boys and your girls oh yeah you know you just got to get out of yourself and some of you didn't have parents who touched you and i know it's difficult but really being physically affectionate is a learned can be a very much of a learned decision a learned behavior but here again we're talking about being intentional in showing love and so even though if you feel uncomfortable with that, maybe you didn't have that, you can make that choice to show that so, kind of physical love.
2: So, gentlemen, will you with me, please? Number one, eye, positive <laughs> eye contact. Number two, physical, physical contact. Okay, now, I would like more than two of you to join <laughs> me this time, all right? Just two words. The first one, eye contact. Secondly, physical <laughs> Contact, thank you. See, I just want to get you feeling good about this thing, you know, because your wife's going to ask you, are going home, I promise you. Okay, (laughs) number three, undivided or focused attention. Undivided or focused attention. This is where you make each of your kids feel as though by your time spent with them that they really mean a lot to you, that they're very, very special, not just to God but to you. And so you give them that time. That could be in so many ways. When our daughter was young, she would say, Daddy, are we when can you take me to McDonald's, You know, and so I would, t- and maybe I would take her out to buy something very inexpensive, but I would tell her how nice she looked in it. And it was just very, very special. You have a date walk.
1: with her, or, or that kind of thing. Date, have a little date, yeah, take a little her to date McDonald's with her. and I'd like play
2: that. sports with the guys outside. And and uh, I'll never forget, you know, the, throwing the baseball, throwing the football, doing all that kind of stuff. Didn't do soccer with them because never, never played soccer, never saw soccer in Texas, growing up in Austin, until I was in the 10th grade in Indiana in school. So believe me, I I just stayed away from that to save my testimony, you know, (laughs) in the the community. But I want you to know that with football and baseball and stuff like that, I taught the kids, you know, feet apart, tail down, glove on the ground. Football, we'd throw the football out on, uh, on the street and on Heathrow Lane there. And I'll never forget, Reed was a sophomore, and he was already on varsity at Klein High School. And so he was quarterback, and he did really well with it. And, uh, but uh, this day, to develop uh, masculinity, we decided to have a little competition. And I was okay at throwing the football. I could throw 55 yards. And, uh, but Reed, as we put out a lot of money, I think it was a dollar, <laughs> uh, bet. Reed beat me that day. And I can't tell you through that undivided attention, what that meant. He took that dollar, <laughs> shook my hand, asked me to sign the dollar, <laughs> and then... I beat Dad and then today put, and dated it. And then, uh, you know, did the, the construction paper border, and then got a frame for it and hung it on the wall. It's still in
1: his office out at the Christian camp, the day that he beat his dad, but throwing, spending time with him.
2: But, but that's the deal. It's undivided attention. And, and that's what we can do with our children. It's so <laughs> essential that we show them how special they are. I just want to give you one illustration. I'm going to turn it over to him. John Adams, who? Second president? Son, John Quincy Adams, right? He had a son. Charles Adams. Charles Adams, very, very busy businessman, took his son Brooks to fish. And in fact, the actual quote from his diary is this. Went fishing with my son. A day wasted. Brooks also wrote in his diary, which is in existence today, and he said, Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. Please don't interpret from your high vantage point. Those kids are desperate for feeling special and of value and of worth. You see, you do those things, and then it's easy to pass the baton to God. But without that, they have much greater struggles to understand how significant they are and how loved they are. So would you please? That God
1: wants a relationship with them. And he's not distant and far away and removed all the time. But that he spends time. And they pick that up. Yes. I, and moms, all of you who have the young children and uh, you're they 're underfoot, and I know that you spend time sitting on the floor playing games with them and doing that kind of thing and i I remember the famous game is candyland. How many of you have played candyland all right Chutes well you know ladders. you know no 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 no, no, oh. candyland, you know how you just love it you 're getting close to the end, you think ah, we spun the thing, and we're the game's almost over. But you know what's right up there at the very top, at the very end, is that peppermint sticks? You know, that if you hit that, then it, what do you do? You have to go all the way back to the beginning. So all you have to do is learn how to sit there and just take that card out before you start the game. <laughs> you know, so know you can you I Of course, I've always done that. Because, <laughs> But you can do that, and then you still play the game, but you don't necessarily have to play the game forever and ever. But... Um, I remember playing Candyland, doing that, and singing. Our daughter loved to sing at the piano, and all our kids did, actually, but Laura was especially interested. And um, so I can remember we would sit down, and I'd play the piano. I was the one who could play. And so she would sing, and we had, back in those days, and some of us are antiques, and you remember Sandy Patty was a great singer and wonderful Christian singer, and we had all the songbooks. And so I would play. You know, we'd start out, and we'd start out at the front of the book, and we would play and sing through the entire book. And it would be like 4 o'clock in the afternoon when this would start. Of course, I've got dinner and everything else going, and she'd be like, Mom, just one more. Mom, just one more. And I just want to tell you something. Because you feel like your job never ends, and you think, I'm just exhausted. I just don't have the energy to do this. You will never regret one minute that you have spent playing with your child enjoying their company and their presence, whether it's taking them for a bike ride, you'll only look back like we do now and say, I wish I had done more of that. So I just encourage you, take that time, invest in your children. You'll either be sacrificing your children, that's what will be written about us at the end, is that we sacrificed our children for our own personal agenda, or we sacrificed our personal agenda for our children. And that will be the testimony that we want written about each one of us, I know, uh, in the end. Well, those are the uh, three ways that Bob gave us. And how about, let's try it this way. I got, uh, let's just try some different words. The first one is your eyes. So open your eyes, open your arms to your kids, and then what's the third one?
2: Undivided attention.
1: Open your schedule, make time for your children. Okay, and then I want to give you two more things to do, especially with those who are teens. Because they perceive being loved differently than young children who are so concrete. They, they do perceive love in abstract ways. And um, these teenage years are really a time, I like to say, of turbulence. There's two T's you can expect. Turbulence and Transition. Moving from being a young child to being an adult, this period of the teen years is uh, often very bumpy. It's an up- and down. You'll find that your teenagers have lots of emotional highs and lows. I was talking to my Bible study leader this morning. She said she had gone up in her daughter's room last night, and she seemed like her daughter was a little punk, and she said, "Honey, so what's the matter to go?" And just, I mean, asking one question, and of course, the, the daughter, who's a sophomore in high school, just busted out crying and telling her all the things that were going on. And that's you, it can be surprising if you're not expecting it. But I want you to expect it. The good news, the bad news is that there's a lot of turbulence when we're in the air, flying to Myanmar or wherever. One of the things I've learned, I can't stand it when we're up at thirty-five thousand feet in the middle of the. Of the flight, and y'all know what I'm talking about. These missionaries who travel over Doug there. Doug and Patty. And Doug and Patty, and then you know that plane starts going like this, and then boom, like this. But there's ups and downs. But what I've learned is that it's, a, it's, it's just something we're going to pass through. We have come out on the other side. And it's really true about raising teenagers and being involved there. It is a time of turbulence, but it is just transition to adulthood. It's temporary. That's the good news. It doesn't last forever. So if you really want to show your teenager that you love them, there are two things that I think we can be intentionally focused on. And the first thing is learning to listen to them. And where is Sarah? Sarah, (laughs) she's so sweet. She shared with me, she said that her mom, years ago I had shared some of this with, and she just said, oh, my mom told me today and reminded me of the fact that I had shared about stop your preaching at your children and start listening to them. And how important that is. You know, a a very wise woman, Dr. Pamela Reeves, who was dean of women at Multnomah School of the Bible, up in Portland, Oregon, she shared with me one time, she said, Ann, you know, it's really 95% of the time you need to be listening to your teenager, 5% talking to them. Now that is quite a shocking uh, differential in terms of percentage. And you know what happens for most of us. All of a sudden they're teenagers and they begin to be old enough to make some really costly mistakes in life. To be out there uh, driving a car, dating someone, and all of a sudden, you know what we do as moms, we tend to do? We go into machine gun mode. <laughs> and, then, and don't forget this. And that's why teenagers, you see this star glaze and eyes roll back in the head, and it's kind of like, oh, there she goes again, my mom, you know, off. And we just start talking at them, talking at them, and telling them everything that could happen, and everything that's wrong, and it's just the opposite of what that child needs as a teenager. You know what they need? They need a safe place. Someone who's going to be paying attention to their feelings. It takes all the emotional tank being full when they go out into this world and they experience the ups and downs of being a teenager. They make the team or they get cut. They try out for the part in the musical, but they don't get it. Whatever the, Or they have a boyfriend and they break up. And all of those things drain their emotional tank. But having a parent and both parents who are interested in listening to them, it's just, it, it just fills their emotional love tank. They get so much security. And you know what? You've done your homework. You're wonderful Christian parents, I'm sure. And you've been teaching them God's principles about how to relate to people. And even when they come home and they're really upset About what has happened, whether it's the coach who hadn't played them as much as they wanted to be played, maybe they're sitting on the bench, and they and they don't. I remember when this happened one time when Reed (laughs) was in high school, and he was not ever a child to complain about anything. And uh, I just remember that he came home and he was just kind of disgusted, and he started to tell Bob and started to talk to him and say. Man, it just hacks me off, Coach Easley. He's not playing. You know, I'm sitting over here on the bench and blah, 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 you know. And all of a sudden, Bob starts to say, Well, now, son, you know, really all you need to do is go and and, and talk to, and and Reed just goes, Dad, Dad, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I just needed you to listen to me. Wow. He knew what what to do. (laughs) What a rebuke to us. But you know what he needed? He needed a place to go with his feelings of being upset. And so we really train our children, really. I'm telling you what, it's a very important part of life for all of us, even as adults, learning how to pour our hearts out. One of the things we model about the character of God is being that safe place for our children to pour out their good feelings and their bad feelings. That was very difficult for me as a mother, to accept my daughter's, especially, ugly, mad, hurt feelings. Because what did I want to do? That's right. I wanted to fix them. I wanted to change them. I didn't want her to feel that way. A Christian girl. You're a sweet Christian precious darling. You really don't hate your friend down the street who just made your life miserable, uh, you know, for whatever it was. When she would come home in the door and slam the door and say, at nine years of age, and say, I hate Michelle. And I would just be like, don't really hate her, honey. You know, Jesus wants us to love everybody, you know, and I'm telling her all of these things and my husband wisely pulled me aside one time and he said, honey, I know how much you love Laura and I know the kind of relationship you want to have with her when she's 15 and you want her to be able to tell you anything to open up her heart and to share what's going on and I'm just concerned if you continue to tell her she shouldn't feel that way, that she's just going to quit talking to you and she won't go there anymore. And I was like, oh, he was appealing to my higher nature. <laughs> you know, that I did want to be a good mother and I did want to be able to have... And y'all, it was the hardest thing for me to learn to be comfortable with other people's negative feelings. It's hard for me with him. It's hard for me with all my children. You know, to hear their hard feelings angry, upset feelings. But let me tell you, that's something you can be intentional about in the way that you mm-hmm. listen to people. You can say, I am not going to fix this. I'm going to listen to what she says. And I remember the next time when she came in like that, I hate my, mama. you know, and I was like, ow, oh, you know, tell me. I said, tell me uh, about it. <laughs> you, know, and she, you know, and I'm like dying. It's so hard for me to say that. And just because I'm so afraid she's just going to go, you know, even worse. But you know what? That's not the way they do. The kids don't do that. They just needed a place to express it. And so we can model the heart of God to our children because he certainly invites us to come into his presence and to grumble and complain to him. It says in Psalm 56, I believe it is, morning and evening and noon, I will grumble and complain and the Lord will hear my voice. And you know what? We can be that kind of a parent to our teenager and it will mean the world to them. Not that we try to fix it, but that we just be a safe place where they can pour it all out and uh, know that it is safe with us. Bob did a wonderful job as a dad, I thought, with our boys especially, because boys, teenage boys, tend to grunt. Um, rather than, or uh-huh, mm, yeah, how was your day? Mm, mm, uh, you know, <laughs> pretty good. And so all of that means that. And, um, but he would feel and sense times when there was kind of distance coming in between him and the boys. And he would say to one of them, Let's go and let's be that special time, you know, that we're talking about focused attention. You continue to do those things, even past the time that they're 10 years of age. And he'd say to one of the boys, maybe Stephen, son, he said, like, I, I, how about we get together tonight and go to Strock Farms, which is a barbecue place out there, when you finish with practice. Meet me, because he would have a car, and Bob would be have a car, and they would meet at Strock Farms. Of course, as soon as they sat down in the restaurant, face to face, across from each other, what did, what did the son say to you?
2: Well, there, there would be sort of a pause and, and silence. And then they, he would work up the nerve to say something like, uh, Dad, what did you want to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> That's I what would, they're expecting. And I would say, uh, Stephen, Reed, uh, didn't want to tell you anything. I just wanted to be with you.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, and then, then, then there would be, be another silence. pause. Yeah. And then they'd begin to open up and just talk. And it was like it was safe, and it was, uh, I just wanted a relationship. Relational parenting is what we need to be about, not controlling with all the rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Relationship is so much more attractive.
1: And listening with compassion to your kids okay. when Reed was uh, getting ready to go to college, and he had been, we had had the coaches in the living room talking no, to him. No, you can't tell that can't story. Can't tell that story we okay. don't have time. Is it in okay. the book? I don't know. I don't remember. I am losing a lot of it. Okay. Okay. We haven't (laughs) read it. Number five. No, okay. Let me me go ahead because really we just have about five minutes here. Um, The last way to really intentionally show your children love, your teenager especially, Uh, you know, you've opened your eyes, you've opened your arms, you've opened your schedule, you've opened your ears, and then God asks us to open our grip mm. on them, to let them go. And when he is asking us to gradually, from the time they're little, keep in mind the long-term thing, which is independence from us, but dependence upon the Lord. That's what we're shooting for with our children. We want them to have that relationship so you've got to gradually let them go. They will feel loved as a teenager. If, they've built, if you've built this good relationship and you have let the leash out, so to speak, little by little, uh, given them more and more freedom, more and more responsibility to make their own choices, decisions, set their own curfews, etc. Our goal, and this was something we got from Dr. Ross Campbell's book, was to let them go by the time they were senior in high school. And,
2: well, uh, we had two C's that we operated by.
1: Well, but, yeah, but let me tell you, let okay. me tell you first. Okay. The, the, so uh, that was our goal. Having read the book and we were very committed, we loved that book. I mean, when they started dating, we had them writing their convictions about dating and all this other kind of stuff. We really followed a lot of the good things that were in that book to, to map the way through the teenage years. And we meant to let Reed go. <laughs> but we kind of bombed out on that, you know, until, well, his, sen- out. until his senior year, halfway through the senior, well, it was really in the spring, mm-hmm. and um, he had just come back from a rock climbing trip with the youth group, and he came home, and his sweetheart, who he later married, Julie, uh, had not been with him on the retreat, and um, he said to us on Sunday night, Dad and Mom, I'm, I want to go over and see Julie tonight. Well, we looked at him and we said, you are exhausted. You are so wiped out from this entire weekend. And tomorrow, you know, Bob pipes up, son, tomorrow you got the baseball tournament, you know, that's going on. And you, you need your rest. He said, Bob, at this point, Reed is 18 and a half years old. And Bob tells him, son, you can go. You can go over there and see Julie, but you need to be home by 8.30. 30." Well um, uh, uh, uh. No uh uh uh
2: he was captain of the team. He no, needed no. to think about being example yeah. and on and on which yeah. neither and nor why do you remember all the stuff that Ross Campbell said? <laughs> That's what frustrates me.
1: Yeah, and so that so, night, so, so, so I, that. I mean, you all of a sudden I was watching it go down between him and Reed was like, no, I'm dad. I'm going over. I'm not coming home at eight 30 dad, you know? And so he turned and Bob was like, you better come home at eight thirty. And so he left and sure enough, he didn't come home at eight 30. I think he came home at 10:30, 10 30.
2: He was in so much trouble and sin.
1: And, and no. so what, what, What you saw was him really being rebellious, so to speak, or defiant at that point toward his father. But, I mean, he spoke to, he told him what he was not going to do, and blah, 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 and he walked out. And sure enough, as we talked, then we remembered. Oh, yeah.
2: Not with you.
1: (laughs) I remembered. Oh, yeah, Yeah. we were remembering Ross Campbell's book. (laughs) We were supposed to, by the senior year, really let them go and let them be responsible for setting their own curfew and so forth. So Bob said,
0: Give me that book
1: again. So he took it to the office. The next day he called and he said, listen, when Reed comes home from high school, I want you to have him wait for me before he goes to practice. So Bob came home. They were there because, and they were sitting at the end of the sunroom. This one over here and that one over there. Reed's eyes are down like this. And Bob uh, says to him something like, son, I just wanted to ask you to forgive me. He said, I really caused your rebellion last night. Would you forgive me? You've always been a son who's very trustworthy. I have no reason to not trust your judgment on this. And really, um, and I, I read was the wrong. Book. And I read the book. I, read, I reread this <laughs> book. Your
2: mother who has total recall. <laughs>
1: no, 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 no. And, and no.
2: So I read the book, and, and what we were going to follow through on, I did not. I failed you, and I please forgive me. And sure and, enough, you uh, did. The book is great, and, I, and that's what we're committed to. He, his, his, his eyes, eyes are, you know, came up, come and, up, and and then uh, he looked at me and said, "Dad, I forgive you." And kids can be great forgivers if we're honest. If we mess mm-hmm, up, we, we fess up. Mm-hmm. Nice and uh, he said, nice. "Dad," he said, "What was the name of that guy?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, it's Dr. Ross Campbell." Why? He said, "I want to write him a thank you note." <laughs>
1: So from that point on that was really then it came all right here to the front because you see we had those three kids in three and a half years (laughs) so we had another opportunity right around the corner to let the next one go and then the next one go and so forth and then uh, Rhonda asked me to share this story but you know you're gradually letting them go all along the way little by little giving them more responsibility then in high school we did that as a senior and uh, then um just there comes, two comes rules that day. Oh, yeah, two days, rules work.
2: Communication and consideration. We've got to have you communicate for the rest of the family and be considerate about everybody's schedules. And we just said those two C's are, know, are really important.
1: If you're going to be out late, just tell us when you're coming home. We didn't set
2: curfew. It's you up know, to you.
1: It's up to you. So then comes the time of Genesis 2:24, For this cause a man shall leave his mother and father. Be joined his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And there comes that day when you really are going to have to let them go. I mean, big time. It is a real severing of the relationship. And so, I knew as a mother of my this was our first son, Reed, and we had such a close relationship. And I knew that I had taught these principles for years that you need to let them go. And moms do not need to be in the big fat middle of the marriage of the two young people. This is not God's plan. They need to bond without you there. And so I made a decision. I thought, how can I do this? And it was our Reed's uh, bride. The church was giving a big shower for Julie. And so I thought, okay, here's my time. And so the Lord put it on my heart to write a poem about, it's called The Cutting. And it's called, it had to do with the apron strings. And I wrote this poem, and I had a friend calligraphy it. And then I went out and bought a beautiful uh, blue and white Chinese vase to give her as a gift and wrapped a blue cord with tassels around it around the neck of the jar and that was my gift to her but inside of the vase when she opened the gift that day and I was in front of all of my lady friends that I had grown up with and we had all raised <laughs> our children together and I, when Julie opened the gift Uh, I said, well, honey, you need to look inside. And she reached inside, and there was a little box. And inside that box, when she opened it, out fell two apron strings that I had cut off of my apron in my kitchen. And I folded them in there, and she said, what are these? And I said, well, honey, those are apron strings. And then I read to her these words that I had written in front of God and all of my friends (laughs) And I said this, these apron strings I give you from winding around my heart, entwined around my little boy, but now they're cut apart. I give them to you, Julie. Reed is yours to have and hold. I promise there are no strings attached so your love can indeed unfold. Our firstborn gift from the Lord He's leaving us with joy, (laughs) cleaving only to Julie D. He's no longer my little boy. That place of being number one, I pass to you alone. And I was his best cheerleader up until then. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) that place of being number one, I pass to you alone. From now on, Julie, you're his joy, his home. It's time to cut these apron strings, for a new cord of love has begun. Around you both, I'll wrap my heart. From now on, your lives are one. Well, I can say that to you tonight, but I couldn't that day. (laughs) I was just weeping, and so were all my friends. And And we were a mess, and Julie looked at us like... Julie said, why is everybody crying? (laughs) Now she has an 11-year-old son. And she knows exactly what I'm talking about because she is already anticipating that day that Connor's going to leave. You know, God has just been so faithful to us as we have learned to hold our children loosely, to let them go according to his plan. To freely let them go, you know what, our children have all come back in the sense that they they want to be with us. We have the most wonderful relationship with our grown adult children and our daughters-in-laws and so forth. So we just want to challenge you tonight as uh, we close that simply as you sh- are intentional about making the choice and the decision today, you really need to seize your opportunity. I know it seems it's going to last forever, but you really only have uh, today you only have tomorrow with that child, with each one of your children. You are not just making memories with your children. You are the memory that they will carry with them to their grave. Every, there's not one of us in this room who has not been deeply impacted by the involvement or the lack of involvement of our parents. You have a picture in your mind of your relationship with your mom or of your dad.
2: James Dobson.
1: And James, Dr. James Dobson had made a wonderful quote that we have just really so uh, taken to heart and agree with. And he talks about uh, how important it is to seize today. We've got the holidays coming up, and these are family times. Boy, you know, focusing in on those relationships. And he said this, it's the illusion of permanence that we're always going to have tomorrow. It's the illusion of permanence that causes us to live selfishly today. And so make those sacrifices, intentional. be intentional. You can make a choice and you can leave a legacy that may be very different from what you received from your parents. With this, the Lord's help and his strength in our lives, we, we would just confirm to you that God has brought us to absolute, on our knees, desperation, desperation, praying for our children through all those teenage years, through those college years, as they were making choices and decisions. We knew that only God can change their hearts. I don't care how hard we worked as parents, how much we taught them Bible verse after Bible verse, God is the one who can change hearts. He can be the one who will make them love each other when they were fighting and squabbling like cats and dogs. And, and he is the one, uh, when that child has wandered away and is doing his own thing, he's the one who, had, who, who can hold them, who can bring them back. Only God can do that work on the inside. So what do we have to do? As parents, we just prayed, we were on our knees, and we just continued to depend on the Lord and ask him every day, show us what to do today intentionally and, to and, love our children. And
2: because of that, I have changed from saying I'm really proud of my children or our children to saying I'm really thankful for our children.
0: Because
2: less of me and more of God, really. But apply yourself and watch God work through you. It's a great joy. A lot of people ask us, where, where can I get the cutting? Well, it's in the book here. But please, w- use it. Take it and, and write Make your name. Make it your own. And bless your children, would you? So many women
1: have done that, and then they'll send me their uh, poem that they wrote at their wedding. And some of them read them at their rehearsal dinners or whatever in front of their friends. Let's bow.
2: Father, thank you for giving us this uh, special, special time, this opportunity to grow in respect to our parenting. Thank you for being not just God, but our Father. Thank you for the way you deal with us, for how patient you've been with me, Father. I just cannot believe it. Thank you for training me, disciplining me, taking me through trials, and uh, entrusting so much to me that I would reveal you. Father, help us. We need your strength as we raise the progeny, your children. Thank you for a great church, Grace Bible. Thank you for the work that Brad and Susan are doing, and, and the staff and all those that are doing support work tonight, that we can learn and grow in grace tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Let's get
0: back. <laughs>